ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله the final section that we were discussing in Sharh al-Sunnah of Imam al-Barbahari rahimahullah ta'ala was the statement of the author وَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةَ أَحَدٌ إِلَّا بِرَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ وَلَا يُعَذِّبُ اللَّهُ أَحَدًا إِلَّا بِذُنُوبِهِ بِقَدَرِ ذُنُوبِهِ وَلَوْ عَذَّبَ أَهْلَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَأَهْلَ الْأَرَضِينَ بِرِّهِمْ وَفَاجِرِهِمْ عَذَّبَهُمْ غَيْرُ ظَالِمٍ لَهُمْ لا يجوز أن يقال لله تبارك وتعالى إنه ظالم وإنما يظلم من يأخذ ما ليس له والله جل ثناؤه له الخلق والأمر والخلق خلقه والدار داره لا يسأل عما يفعل وهم يسألون ولا يقال لما وكيف لا يدخل أحد بين الله وبين خلقه this was the section that we were discussing last time. Know that nobody will enter paradise except by the mercy of Allah. And that Allah does not punish anyone except due to their sins. Allah does not punish a person except due to their own sins. In accordance to the level of their sins. And if Allah was to punish everyone in the heavens and the earth, the righteous and the non-righteous, then he would punish them and there would be no oppression upon them. It is not permissible to say that Allah has oppressed. Rather, the one who oppresses is the one who takes something which is not his right. The one who oppresses, if you're going to say somebody is oppressing, then the one who oppresses is somebody who takes something without his right. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of the creation and the command is to Him. All of the creation is His creation. All of this residence, this world, it is His. La yus'alu amma yaf'alu wa hum yus'alun. Allah is not asked about what He does. Rather, they are the ones who are asked. And it is not said. You do not say regarding the decree of Allah. Why? Lima. وكيف and why and how لا يدخل أحد بين الله وبين خلقه nobody enters into this affair between Allah and His creation so this topic we were talking about it last time regarding how a person he does not enter into paradise due to his good deeds rather the good deeds are something which he does and then from the mercy of Allah, he enters paradise. He does not trade his good deeds for a place in paradise. A person does not trade his good deeds for a place in paradise. Rather, those good deeds, uh, Allah rewards the person upon them. And then through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person enters into the paradise. Uh, and then it mentions, so that's the opening section. Know that nobody can enter paradise except through the mercy of Allah. Huwa kama qala 
صلى الله عليه وسلم لن يدخل أحدا لن يدخل أحدا عمله الجنة that nobody will be entered into paradise through his actions nobody's actions will enter them into paradise قالوا ولا أنت يا رسول الله they said not even you O messenger of Allah قال لا وأنا ولا أنا إلا أن يتغمدني الله بفضل ورحمة he said, not even me, unless, except, until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He encompasses me with His virtue and mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يُكَافِئُ الْعِبَادِ عَلَىٰ أَعْمَالِهِمْ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives the servants the reward upon their actions. الْحَسَنَ بِعَشْرِ أَمْثَالِهَا that the good deed a person does, he gets 10 times the reward for it. Up to 700 times the reward. 10 times the reward, up to 700 times the reward for the good deeds that a person he does. And all of that is the virtue of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon an individual the virtue of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon a person that he is rewarded with this great amount of reward for the actions that he does. So this was the topic that we were discussing last time and we mentioned some points regarding that. Then after that now the next section وَإِذَا سَمِعْتَ الرَّجُلَ يَطْعَنْ عَلَى الْآثَارِ وَلَا يَقْبَلُهَا أو ينكر شيئا من أخبار رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فاتهمه على الإسلام فإنه رجل رديء القول والمذهب وإنما طعن على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أصحابه لأنه إنما عرفنا الله وعرفنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وَعَرَفْنَا الْقُرْآنَ وَعَرَفْنَا الْخَيْرَ وَالشَّرَّ وَالدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ بِالْآثَارِ Here, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari says, So if you hear a person, if you hear a person criticizing or speaking ill of the narrations, you hear a person criticizing the narrations, إِذَا سَمِعْتَ الرَّجُلَ يَطْعَنُ عَلَى الْآثَارِ You hear somebody speaking ill of the narrations, speaking ill and criticizing the narrations. وَلَا يَقْبَلُهَا And he does not accept them. Or you see somebody rejecting some part of the uh, uh, information and the news that the Prophet ﷺ gave us. You hear somebody rejecting something from the statements of the Prophet ﷺ, then accuse that man in his religion. فَاتَّهِمْهُ عَلَى الْإِسْلَامِ Accuse that man in his religion, meaning doubt that person's religion. The one who speaks ill and criticizes the narrations, or he rejects them and does not accept them, he rejects and doesn't accept what the Prophet ﷺ says, then doubt that person in his religion. 
فَإِنَّهُ رَجُلٌ رَدِيءُ الْقَوْلِ وَالْمَذْهَبِ For indeed he is a person who is despicable. He is a person who is despicable in his statement and in his saying. He is somebody despicable in his statement and saying, despicable in his position and his opinion. وَإِنَّمَا طَعَنَ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أصحابه And that person, he is indeed attacking the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions. Since we have only come to know of Allah, his messenger, the Quran, what is good and bad, and of this world and the hereafter, through the narrations. So when you hear a person speaking bad about the narrations, or you hear a person not accepting the hadith, not accepting the narrations, then know that this person is upon a despicable state. The one who does not accept the narrations of the Prophet and he does not accept them, instead he rejects them. Then know he is of a despicable statement and a despicable state. Because... The narrations that we've been given from the Prophet ﷺ, the narrations, they are the ones that teach us what we know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those narrations, they are the ones that we have learned in them about the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And those narrations, through them, we have learned about the Qur'an and we have come to know what is good and what is bad. How do we know all of these things and about this world and about the hereafter, the afterlife? How do we know about all of these things? Through the narrations. The narrations that we have and who narrated those narrations? The companions. The companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they narrated, they told us these narrations. The sunnah, the hadith, the Quran. So if a person, he rejects the narrations, then really what that person is doing is criticizing the companions themselves and criticizing the Prophet ﷺ himself, a person who refuses to accept the narrations. As Shaykh Rabi'ah Ta'ala says, وَإِذَا سَمِعْتَ الرَّجُلَ يَطْعَنُ فِي الْآثَارِ وَلَا يَقْبَلُهَا So if you hear a man criticizing the narrations and not accepting them, أَحَادِيثُ الرَّسُولِ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامِ وَأَقْوَالُ الصَّحَابَةِ إِجْمَاعُهُمْ وَمَا شَاكَلَ ذَلِكَ وَأَقْوَالُهُمُ الَّتِي تَنْسَجِمُ مَعَ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ so if you hear a person rejecting or criticizing the narrations and not accepting them, i.e. the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, you see a man rejecting the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, or the statements of the Sahaba and the companions, the statement of the companions, the consensus of the companions, you hear somebody rejecting and opposing that, not accepting the narrations of the companions, not accepting the statements, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And this person, he rejects 
what the Prophet ﷺ has told us, then he is يعني هذا كان يحصل من الجهمية والمعتزلة والمرجئة والخوارج. This type of thing used to happen from the people of innovation. The people of innovation and desires. Ahlul bid'ah wal ahwa. From the people of innovation and desires. They used to reject the narrations. They used to not accept the narrations. So that type of thing used to happen. But who from? From the people of innovation. From the people of desires. The people who are not upon the correct way. They are not following what the Prophet ﷺ told us. They are the ones who used to reject and not accept the hadith and the sunnah. And they are the people of innovation. So those people, you doubt their religion. The Rafida Shia and other than them. Then eventually the Shaykh says the Ash'ariya, they also joined with those people of deviation in rejecting some parts of the narrations of the Prophet So they began to reject some narrations and say that these are Akhbar Ahad. They said these are narrations that are only narrated by a very limited number of companions in the chains of narration. That there are very few, they are not at the level of mutawatir, meaning multiple narrators at the levels of the chains. Basically saying, basically what they would say is that there are only one or two companions narrating this hadith. So we don't know whether it's authentic or not. There's only one or two people here in the chain of narration, one or two people here in the chain of narration. So we don't know whether this hadith is definitely true or not. So they would reject those narrations. Whereas we know that the position of Ahlul Sunnah is that even if a hadith is narrated by only one person, who narrates from only one person, as long as these people are thiqah, the companions no doubt, you don't even have to say it, all of them are thiqat. But then after that, from the Salaf and the narrators, if they are thiqa, they are trustworthy, reliable, acceptable with the conditions, then those narrations are accepted, even if they are narrated by a single person or only a few people, not at the level of mutawatir. So the point being here that some of the people of innovation, they used to reject the sunnah. They did not used to accept the narrations of the Prophet they did not used to accept the statements of the companions. We therefore learn that the position of Ahlul Sunnah is that we do accept all of the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that is authentic. And we accept the statements of the Sahaba and the companions and the affairs that they agreed upon and the consensus that they had. These are things that we accept. We do not reject these and that is where you find the difference between Ahlul Sunnah and Ahlul Bid'ah. The people of innovation, the people who are misguided and they do all types of innovations. One of the reasons is because they reject 
the narrations of the Prophet They do not accept all of the narrations from the Prophet and from the Sahaba. They reject them. They refuse to accept them. And as a consequence, they end up into innovations. They end up doing things which are not from the Sunnah of the Prophet because they refuse to accept certain parts of the Sunnah. You tell them this is a hadith which is authentic. It is in Al-Bukhari, it is in Muslim, it is in other than that from the books. And it is an authentically established narration. And there is another one and another one. And you show them all these authentic narrations. But their imams, they tell them, no, we don't accept these narrations. We only take what our imam told us. So as a consequence of rejecting certain narrations, they end up falling into certain types of innovation and this is something which occurred from the people of innovation a lot and that's why they ended up falling into so much error when it came to the names and attributes of Allah when it came to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they fell into many mistakes due to not accepting the narrations of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, due to not accepting all of the narrations, and instead they would reject some of these narrations. So when it came to the names and attributes of Allah, instead of accepting them and affirming them and believing in them, they began to distort the meanings of them. They began to use their own minds to try to understand them. They gave their own interpretations of them. So when Allah talks about His names and His attributes in the Quran and the Sunnah, they thought they could understand them with their own understanding. With their own brain, they thought they could understand everything. And they couldn't. And that isn't what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to understand the Quran and the Sunnah as it is with the understanding of the Sahaba as your teachers, not as your own brain as your teacher. So they went astray. They became misguided. Some of them began to reject all of the names and attributes of Allah. Some of them began to change the meanings of the names and attributes of Allah. So they changed what the names of Allah mean. And they changed the attributes, the descriptions, the things that Allah told us about Himself. They changed all of that. So they went wrong. They went misguided. Some of them, they started to compare Allah to creation. So they went misguided as well. There is nothing in creation that can be compared to Allah. Some of them, they began to give descriptions to Allah. So they became misguided. So these people, they started to do a lot of things because they didn't take the narrations. If they stuck to the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ, and they stuck to what the Sahaba, the Salaf, they said, then they would have remained upon the upright way. But they abandoned the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ. They abandoned what the Sahaba, the Salaf, they taught us from their understanding of them. And they used their own understanding, their own intellects, and as a consequence, they ended up going astray and falling into much error. So here, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari says, if you see somebody refusing to accept the narrations of the Prophet 
or you see somebody not accepting them, instead rejecting them, then doubt this person. Because those narrations, they are the ones that teach us about Allah. They are the ones that teach us about the Quran. Those hadith, the sunnah of the Prophet If you're not going to accept that, then where are you going to learn your religion from? If you don't accept what the Prophet told us in the hadith, and what the Sahaba said, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum and other companions, you're not going to listen to what they said, then where are you going to learn your religion from? That's why Imam al-Barbahari says, all of the things that we know, it's from those narrations, from the hadith of the Prophet from what the companions, they told us. So if somebody rejects that and doesn't accept it, even though you tell him and you show him the authentic hadith, then doubt this person. You need to tell this person, you need to show him and tell him to be sincere and not to follow his own desires or say, no, my imam said and my imam said. Show him, look, this is the sunnah, this is what the hadith says. This is what the Prophet says. Don't tell me what your imam says and I'm telling you what the Prophet says. This is the difference between Ahlul Sunnah and the people of desires. The people of misguidance, they will blindly follow their imams and whatever. Whereas Ahlul Sunnah, we look at the evidence every time. Where is the hadith that tells us you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to do that? Where is the narration? Where is the statement of the Sahaba, the companions? That's what you look towards. Then after that, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari says, وَإِنَّ الْقُرْآنَ أَحْوَجُ إِلَى السُنَّةِ مِنَ السُنَّةِ إِلَى الْقُرْآنِ That the Qur'an is more in need of the Sunnah than the Sunnah is in need of the Qur'an. The Qur'an is more in need of the Sunnah than the Sunnah is in need of the Qur'an. What does that mean? We know that the Qur'an and the Sunnah are linked. They are both revelation from Allah. The Qur'an was revealed by Allah, sent down by Allah. It is the speech of Allah. The Sunnah was also revelation from Allah. The Sunnah also came from Allah. So the Quran and the Sunnah, the Sunnah, the Hadith of the Prophet وسلم, all the narrations, that is revelation too. That is revelation too. So the Quran and the Sunnah, they are both revelation from Allah. That is the first thing that everybody should remember. The Quran and the Sunnah, both of them are revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we should understand that the Quran and the Sunnah, they are linked to each other in different ways. One of the ways that the Quran and the Sunnah are linked is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they are affirmative of what is mentioned in each of them. Meaning, you have something mentioned in the Qur'an, and the same thing will be mentioned in the Sunnah. So in the Qur'an, it tells you that certain things are halal, and certain things are haram. In the Sunnah, there will be some hadith as well sometimes, which tell you the same thing. 
that such and such is halal and such and such is haram. So sometimes the sunnah, it says to you exactly the same as what's already in the Quran as well. So the sunnah backs up the Quran 100%, tells you the same thing as what's in the Quran. The sunnah affirms what's in the Quran. Another thing or another link between the Quran and the sunnah is that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, it clarifies and explains things in more detail than what's in the Quran. Sometimes in the Quran there may be a few ayat and they tell you about something, something is halal or something is haram or what you're supposed to do. But there isn't a lot of detail of how to do it specifically. All the particular details aren't there. Where will you find those particular details? In the sunnah. So the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, it will explain things that were generally mentioned in the Quran. An example of that is the prayer. In the Quran, it commands you to pray. In the Quran, the command to pray is there. That you have to pray. But how do you pray? What are the specifics of the prayer? How many raka'at do you pray for every prayer? How many times do you do ruku'? How many times do you do sajda? The prostration, the sujood? How do you do all of that prayer? Does it tell you the details of how to pray specifically in the Quran? It doesn't. It doesn't tell you the details of specifically how to pray. How to do ruku'ah, how to do sujood, how many times, what do you read, how many raka'at, how many prayers in the day. It doesn't give you all the details. So where are the details? How are we supposed to know how to pray? The Quran says pray. How? You look at the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Because in the sunnah, in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ then explains how to do all of that. So sometimes in the Quran, there are things which are mentioned generally. To find out the details of how to do that now properly, the specifics, you have to look at the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So we see that another relationship between the Quran and the Sunnah is that the Sunnah, it explains things which are in the Quran. And that's why Imam al-Barbahari says here, that the Qur'an is more in need of the Sunnah than the Sunnah is in need of the Qur'an. Why is that? Because the Sunnah has a lot of details in it which explain parts of the Qur'an. So the Qur'an needs the Sunnah to go with it, to clarify it. A Shaykh Rabia says, يَتَحَدَّثُ الْمُسَنِّفُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ عَنْ مَنْزِلَةِ سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وكان قبلها قد تكلم عمن يطعن في الآثار وأن هذا من علامات أهل الضلال وهنا يتكلم عن منزلة السنة. So here, Sheikh Rabi'ah, حفظه الله says, the author is going to tell us about the station of the Sunnah. What is the position of the Sunnah? How do we regard the Sunnah? How do we view the Sunnah? What is the station and the rank and the position of the Sunnah? وَإِنَّ الْقُرْآنَ أَحْوَجَ إِلَى السُنَّةِ مِنَ السُنَّةِ إِلَى الْقُرْآنِ عَلَى كُلِّ حَالِ 
تهيب أحمد رحمه الله أن يقول إن السنة قاضية على القرآن إنما الأدب أن نقول السنة تبين القرآن وتفسره وتبين مجمله وتفسر مبهمه وتخصص عام وتقيد مطلقه الشيخ ربيع says the meaning of this statement is and the way that you would explain this is as we just said the sunnah it clarifies and it details and it gives you explanation about things in the Quran which may have been left undetailed Things in the Qur'an that may have been mentioned, generally speaking. Things in the Qur'an that are mentioned in an open way, the sunnah comes and clarifies, actually it's like this and it's like this, the details of it. So that's why we say that the sunnah, it clarifies and explains parts of the Qur'an. And that shows to you that anybody who rejects the sunnah, how futile their statement is, how silly their statement is, how can you reject the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ when it's that sunnah which clarifies to you and explains to you the Qur'an in the first place? The sunnah clarifies certain parts of the Qur'an to you. If you're going to say we're only going to follow the Qur'an and we're not going to follow the sunnah, then how would you even know how to pray? The Qur'an doesn't tell you about the details of the prayer. It doesn't tell you that dhuhr is four raka'at. Nowhere in the Qur'an. Doesn't tell you Maghrib is three raka'at or Fajr is two raka'at. Doesn't give you these details in the Quran. So how would you know how to pray? If you're not going to listen to the Sunnah, you're not going to accept the narrations, how would you know how to pray properly? You have to take the Sunnah, which explains the Quran. The Zakat as well is another example. The Zakat, the Zakat, how to give the Zakat, how to... Uh, Fulfill that right of giving the money, how much, when, those details are in the sunnah. So there are many examples like this which explain that the sunnah, it clarifies and it explains and it gives more details of what the Qur'an is mentioning. Then it says, وَالْكَلَامُ وَالْجَدَلُ وَالْخُصُومَ فِي الْقَدْرِ خَاصَةِ Manhiyun <laughs> وكرهه العلماء وأهل الورع ونهوا عن الجدال في القدر فعليك بالتسليم والإقرار والإيمان واعتقاد ما قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في جملة الأشياء واسكت عما سوى ذلك Now this party mentions that Speech or talking about certain parts or certain issues of the religion, especially the decree, when there is no need to, unwarranted speech, unneeded speech, uselessly talking about affairs of the religion that you should not be 
debating about certain aspects of the religion, certain issues in the religion. You don't delve into them and debate and argue and fight over those issues. So here he's talking about this now. Unwarranted speech, argumentation, disputation about the pre-decree is forbidden with all of the sects. Since pre-decree, the decree is the secret of Allah. The Lord, the Blessed and Most High forbade the prophets from such speech about the decree. The Prophet ﷺ forbade argumentation about the issues of the decree. The companions of Allah's Messenger ﷺ and the successors, those who came after them, hated it. It was hated by the scholars and the people of piety. They forbade disputation about the pre-decree. So submit, affirm, have faith. And believe in what Allah's Messenger ﷺ said about matters and remain silent concerning other than that. So in this section now we are being told, this is something which is mentioned often in the books of the scholars, that you do not go and engage yourself in arguing and disputing and fighting with people on issues of the religion. Somebody holds the opinion about some other wrong aqeedah, they want to debate you and argue with you and waste your time, then don't waste your time with them. Tell them the truth and move away. Do not get engaged in wasting your time disputing and arguing with people. Learn the correct aqeedah, learn the proper tawheed, learn what is upon you to learn, and you are safe. As for the other people now who come to debate you, then do not waste your time in arguing and debating with them. Learn your aqeedah, learn your tawheed, learn that which opposes it. Learn the ways of the people of innovation and their methodologies so that you keep yourself safe from it. But then do not go and sit and debate and argue with those people. The ones who will accept the advice, give them da'wah. Explain to them. Clarify to them, especially if they are from your close families and relatives. Give them da'wah, explain to them, clarify to them. Debate with them in a manner which is better. Give them the proofs and the evidences in a way which is better. Clarify to them with the evidences. But as for somebody coming along wanting to waste your time arguing about something about the religion because they are upon some Sufi belief or they are upon some other belief and all they want to do is debate and argue with you, they want to try to defend their point, then do not waste your time in those debates and argumentation. Particularly... When it comes to the issue of the decree, particularly when it comes to the issue of the decree, then you do not engage yourselves in the issue of the decree, in debating and arguing with people over this affair. The Prophet ﷺ forbade us from doing that. The companions, they disliked that, they hated that, they did not accept that. The Tabi'een, those who came after them, the scholars and the people of piety, they all used to forbid arguing and debating over the issues of the decree. And the decree we've already mentioned. We mentioned this is the secret of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The decree, it was written 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. 
50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, the decree was written. All of that which is to occur, كتب الله مقادير الخلائق قبل أن يخلق السماوات والأرض بخمسين ألف سنة وكان عرشه على الماء that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote down the decree of everything 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth even so this is not something you dispute over it's not something you get into argumentation over with people because we know there are some people who are misguided when it comes to the topic of the decree. Some people, they believe as the Jabariyah that we are compelled to do everything we do. Some people are like the Qadariyah. Qadariyah, the ones who claim that we create our own actions. So we do not engage these types of people in their false beliefs. For those who are willing to accept those who are willing to listen, then you give them da'wah, you explain to them. But that requires that you are upon knowledge in the first place. You must learn the basics of the religion. You must learn what the iman in the decree is. And then you can briefly explain to somebody, particularly from your friends and family, the correct aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah regarding the decree. And we've only just recently covered it. We only just recently discussed the decree. So what were the four parts of the belief in the decree? What is the first part of the belief in the decree? What is the first part of the knowledge of the decree rather? What is the first part of the belief in the decree? There were four parts, remember? We said there were four parts. Belief in the decree, Iman in the decree, four parts to it. What was the first part? That Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. Allah's knowledge, it covers everything. That is the first part of your belief in the decree. Allah's knowledge, it encompasses everything. The second part, the preserved tablet, that all of that decree, it is written down in the preserved tablet, Al-Kitaba. The third part, Al-Mashi'ah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed all of that to occur. And the fourth part, Al-Khalq, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created all of that. We covered that before. That is the basics of the decree that you need to remember. The knowledge of Allah that encompasses everything. The writing of all of the decree in the preserved tablet, Al-Lawhul Mahfuz. Mashi'atullah, that Allah wills everything to occur. Nothing can occur if Allah does not will it to occur. Nothing can occur upon this earth if Allah does not will it to occur. And the fourth part, the creation. It is Allah who creates the decree. It is Allah who creates the affairs. So that is the basic belief in the decree that everybody needs to know. As for debating and arguing with people over this affair, then we do not get involved with that. You tell the people, this is our belief in the decree. This is the iman in the decree. Those four parts of the iman in the decree. 
And we know that everything is in the knowledge of Allah. All of it was written down in the preserved tablet. And we know that we are not compelled. We have a choice. But Allah already knows of our choices. And you make the choice to obey or you make the choice to disobey. And that's what you will be held accountable upon. And we know that much and we leave it at that. And we affirm that and we believe that. As for the people who are philosophers, the people who bring their doubts, then you do not fall into debating and arguing with them over the affairs of the decree as such. After that, the next section, Al-Imam Al-Barbahari says, وَالْإِيمَانُ بِأَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أُسْرِيَ بِهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ وَصَارَ إِلَى الْعَرْشِ وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهَ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى وَدَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ وَاطَّلَعَ إِلَى النَّارِ وَرَأَى الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَسَمِعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَبُشِّرَتْ أو بُشِّرَتْ بِهِ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ وَرَأَى صَرَادِقَاتِ الْعَرْشِ وَالْكُرْسِي وَجَمِيعَ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ فِي الْيَقْظَةِ حَمَلَهُ جِبْرِيلُ عَلَى الْبَرَّاقِ حَتَّى أَدَارَهُ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وفرضت عليه الصلاة في تلك الليلة ورجع إلى مكة ليلته وذلك قبل الهجرة Now in this section he's going to talk about the night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj The night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj The night when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The night when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he was taken up to the heavens that is known as the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. So to have faith that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was taken by night up through the heavens and came to the throne and spoke to Allah, the Blessed and Most High. And he entered paradise and he saw into the fire and saw the angels and heard the speech of Allah, the mighty and majestic, and the prophets were shown to him. He saw the drapery of the throne, the footstool, and all within the heavens and the earths, whilst he was awake, being taken by Jibreel upon Al-Buraq, who took him through the heavens. That night the five daily prayers were obligated for him. He returned to Mecca that same night, and that was before the Hijrah. So this is talking about one night when the Prophet ﷺ was taken at night from Mecca, from his home. He was taken up to the heavens and he was shown paradise and hell. And after that night, all of those things going up to the heavens and the earth or going up to the heavens rather, going up to the heavens, up to the throne of Allah, speaking to Allah, all of that happened in one night, and he returned back all in one night. All of this event happened in one night, the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, 
when the Prophet was taken up to the heavens and taken to the throne of Allah and he spoke to Allah and he entered into paradise and he was shown the hellfire and he saw the angels and he heard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak all of these things they occurred and then he returned in the same night and this was all whilst he was awake it wasn't a dream this wasn't a dream that Allah gave to the Prophet this was real the Prophet was awake that night and he was taken up to the heavens whilst he was awake this wasn't a dream that he went and he saw those things this was real that he went up to the heavens and to paradise and he returned back in one night so here a Shaykh Rabia says الإيمان بالإسراء والمعراج جاءت فيه أحاديث كثيرة There are many narrations that tell us about this event which happened ومن القرآن and in the Quran too there is a statement of Allah in the Quran too which mentions this event سبحان الذي أسرى بعبده ليلا من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى in سورة الإسراء the first ayah Allah mentions about taking his servant from Al-Masjid Al-Haram, from Mecca, up to the heavens, to Masjid Al-Aqsa, and then up to the heavens. That's mentioned in the Quran itself, what happened that night, about the Prophet ﷺ being taken. As for what is mentioned in the story, that Buraq, this animal that the Prophet ﷺ was upon, he took him around the various skies and the heavens, he took him around everywhere. It is not actually authentically mentioned. والصواب أن البراق ركبه الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى بيت المقدس وربطه هناك في صخرة تربط فيها الأنبياء ما يركبون عليه أو تربط فيها الأنبياء ما يركبون عليه. What is actually mentioned is that the Prophet ﷺ was on this buraq, this animal, and that was all the way up to Bayt al-Maqdis. And then at Bayt al-Maqdis, he tied it there, he left it there. ثُمَّ عُرِجَ بِهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ مِنْ هُنَاكَ فِي مِعْرَاجِنَا عِرْفُ كَيْفِيَتُهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Then from that point onwards, he was taken up, ascended up in a manner that we are not aware of how that occurred. But the buraq, it is mentioned, was left there at Bayt al-Maqdis. Then the Prophet ﷺ was taken up in another manner that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of. Uh, so that is how this occurred that he was taken to the heavens and that when he went to the heavens when he came to the first heaven the heaven of the earth the sky of the earth so it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, he goes up to the first heaven and then Jibreel ﷺ requests for the door to be opened. So it will be said to Jibreel ﷺ, who are you? He will say, it's Jibreel. Then it will be said to him, who's with you? He will say, it is Muhammad. He will say, it is Muhammad ﷺ who is with me. Then, قيل, قد أرسل إليه أو قد بعثا قال نعم It will be said, has he been sent? It will be said, yes Then he will say, مرحبا, enter, welcome ونعم المجيء جاء فيرى آدم عليه الصلاة والسلام 
So then he sees Adam alayhi salam. The Prophet on that night when he was taken up, he goes to the first heaven. And when he enters, he sees Adam alayhi salam. فَيَقُولُ جِبْرِيلُ سَلِّمْ عَلَيْهِ فَيُسَلِّمْ عَلَيْهِ فَيَقُولُ آدَمْ عَلَيْكَ السَّلَامُ So Jibreel alayhi salam says to the Prophet ﷺ, give salam to him. So the Prophet ﷺ gives salam to him. So Adam alayhi salam then says, وَعَلَيْكَ السَّلَامُ مَرْحَبًا بِالْإِبْنِ الصَّالِحِ وَالنَّبِيِّ الصَّالِحِ Yeah, Adam alayhi salam then says, welcome to the righteous son, the righteous uh, Prophet. وَرَأَى عَنْ يَمِينِهِ أَسْوَدَهِ وَعَنْ يَسَارِهِ أَسْوَدَهِ فَإِذَا الْتَفَتَ إِلَى يَمِينِهِ ضَحِكَ وَإِذَا الْتَفَتَ إِلَى شَمَالِهِ بَكَى فَسَأَلَ جِبْرِيلِ فَقَالَ الْأَسْوَدَ الَّتِي عَنْ يَمِينِهِ هُمْ أَهْلُ الْجَنَّةِ هُمُ السُّعَدَاءِ Then the Prophet sees a group, a darkness, a uh, a mound of people on the right and one on the left. And when he sees the one on the right, he laughs. And when he sees the one on the left, he cries. Then he asks Jibreel alayhi salam. He asks Jibreel alayhi salam. And he says, as for the ones on the right, they are the people of paradise. They are the happy, the successful. And as for the ones on the left, as for the ones on the left, then they are the people of hellfire. The ones عن يساره الذين إذا رآهم بكى هم ذريته من أهل النار. The ones who are on the left that uh, he cries when he sees them, Adam عليه السلام. Then they are his progeny, the people of the fire. Then after that, after this event of seeing Adam عليه السلام, and then when Adam عليه السلام looks to the right and he looks to the left, he laughs to the right and he cries to the left. He laughs to the right because they are all the people of paradise. He cries to the left because they are all the people of hellfire. Then after that the Prophet ﷺ goes on above to the second heaven. He then goes on above to the second heaven. And then when he enters into the second heaven, he sees Yahya and Isa salam. Yahya and Isa salam. So again he gives salam to them and they give salam to him. Then he goes on to the third heaven and there he sees Yusuf alayhi salam. And then he goes to the fourth heaven and he sees Idris alayhi salam. Then he goes to the next heaven and he finds there Harun alayhi salam. And then he goes to the sixth heaven and he finds there Musa alayhi salam. And then he goes to the seventh heaven and in there he finds Ibrahim alayhi salam. Then after that, he goes even above the seventh heaven, Sudrat al Muntaha. He goes up beyond the seventh heaven, Hatta Samia Sarif al Aqlam Hunak. He hears the pens writing. He hears the, the screeching of the pens that are writing. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to him, to the Prophet وسلم, when he's now reached the seventh heaven on that night. Uh, or above that. And then the five prayers are made obligatory. Farada alayhi salawatul khams. The five prayers, that's when Allah tells him about the obligation of the five prayers. So then the Prophet وسلم, uh, he descends to the sixth heaven. And Musa alayhi salam asks him, what did Allah make obligatory upon you? 
the Prophet says 50 prayers because first it was 50 prayers. Musa says to him, Go back, return and ask for it to be less. So then, eventually, as the Prophet goes back and comes back and goes back, eventually, then it goes down and becomes just the five prayers with the reward of those five prayers being as of 50 prayers. So that was the story of how the prayer was established. On that night when the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heavens, and in each of the heavens he saw different prophets and messengers, then when he got to the top, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him, and initially commanded him with 50 prayers every day. But when he came down and Musa ﷺ asked him what happened, he said 50 prayers, he said it's too much, go back and ask for something lighter, less, your ummah will not be able to do it. So then eventually in the end it goes down, to five prayers. Uh, then, after that, when the Prophet ﷺ returned, he told the people about what happened that night. He came and he told the mushrikeen about the events which happened that night. He told the people, yani generally, he told the people what happened. The mushrikeen obviously didn't believe him. The mushrikeen didn't believe that the Prophet ﷺ he could do everything he claimed he did that night to go from Mecca all the way to Jerusalem in one night and then to go from there all the way to the heavens as he claims and then to come all the way back all in one night they said it's impossible he's lying it can't be the truth so they refused to accept it they were even mocking Abu Bakr as-Siddiq they came to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and they said to him have you heard what your colleague is saying Muhammad sallallahu he claims to go all the way up there and everything and return in one night. And they were mocking the mocking Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu said to them, if that's what he says, then I believe him. If that's what Muhammad sallallahu has said, I believe him. I believe him in things which are even more than that. He tells me that the revelation comes down to him. I believe him in that. That revelation comes down from the heavens unto Prophet Muhammad sallallahu the Quran and the Sunnah. Abu Bakr said, I believe all of that. I believe this revelation comes to him. He is the messenger of Allah. And that's why Abu Bakr was known as a siddiq the truthful one. Even though the others, they refuse to accept. And that, inshallah ta'ala, is where we'll pick it up from next week. What happened when the Prophet ﷺ came back and he told the people what happened, their response and their reaction to this event. This amazing story of the Prophet ﷺ going to the heavens and back how they reacted and what they said, inshallah ta'ala, we'll take it from there in the next session next week at approximately the same time after Maghrib, inshallah. So we'll conclude there for today.